Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pin Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. And as usual, we have our two expert analysts on hand, Rajette Harris and Jeffrey Lord. And I think they're a bit revved up, so stay tuned for some very interesting conversation. This is Battleground PA, a Pen Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, I'm back and we are ready to talk about all of the explosive issues that are facing our nation and frankly, the world. Again, this is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor. And if you want to join us, you certainly can. All you have to do is check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Battleground PA. Or if you really want to have an influence, send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. We'll hear your ideas and we'll take them up in our conversations. So let's turn to the topics at hand. Good morning, Rajette. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Okay, that's Rajette Harris, our Democratic analyst. And Jeffrey Lord, how are you, sir? Are you ready to fight for the Republicans? I am. I'm (laughs) ready and raring to go. As usual. Well, okay, guys, it's always great really engaging with you and talking to you. And we are now, unfortunately, looking at what it seems like a rise in coronavirus cases in some parts of the country, particularly, it seems, in the South and in the West, from what I'm hearing, in California and places. And unfortunately, they are saying it's connected to young people ignoring social distancing measures. I don't know how you feel about this, but one of the issues that this raises is should we be having, I know shutter, shutter, it's horrible for us because we care about politics, but should we be having campaign rallies like the president had, Jeffrey? That is causing a lot of angst. But what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I just think as the protests showed, we need to get on with life. And I must say, I was really struck with the, uh, it's not okay to protest for reopening, but it's okay to protest for George Floyd. The subject of what you're protesting for or gathering together shouldn't matter. The question is, should you do it at all? And I frankly think that this is a question that is now out of the hands of most people because the American people themselves want to do this. That's a good point. Then that was very adept to turn it from the rally to the protest. But we really were focused on political rallies because I'm also concerned about what the Democrats are going to do. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism. And frankly, Jeffrey, I think rightly so, to be honest, that a leader should not be encouraging thousands of people to come together during a time of a pandemic when we know the virus is spread person to person. And you're screaming and you're yelling and there's just no doubt that you're spreading the virus and that people will die as a result of it. I don't even think anybody can challenge that statement. But but Rajette, it's the same issue facing the Democrats. What are you guys going to do during this time as far as holding campaign rallies and bringing people together? You know, it's been 116 days since President Trump said that we'd have zero cases in the United States. We now have over 2.4 million cases and then over 123,000 people have died. Unfortunately, the United States is leading in the number of cases and deaths, and this is one area we shouldn't be leading in. I don't know if the two of you saw, but this morning they were saying that Europe may actually issue a travel ban for Americans because of the rapid spread of the coronavirus here in the United States. 
And it's so easy to slow the spread. You know, we can wear a mask if we're going to be around larger groups of people, minimize indoor spaces. We saw the news with D.L. Hughley, and I love comedians. I saw him live myself a couple years ago. But why would you do a comedy show in a small area, especially with a group of African-Americans whom we know are more likely to get the virus? It's just careless decisions such as that that's helping the spread. The rallies were actually concerning to me because, as we saw, a lot of people weren't wearing the mask. And the first rally, I was actually happy that a lot of people weren't there because, you know, hopefully we won't get as many cases that we receive. People use common sense, especially when you can watch the rally from the comfort of your home (laughs) and be safe. As we know, Vice President Biden hasn't been doing any rallies. Everything he's been doing has been virtual, just like last night, a fundraiser with President Obama. I don't see that changing anytime soon. We are on the Democrat side. We're going to continue doing things virtually. Okay, that's what that was my question. If you if you really are going to simply continue to try to save lives as opposed to promote politics. But I want to get back to this whole issue of the rallies and all of this. And because I want to talk about the masking, I guess what I don't understand, Jeffrey, is this the masking is turning political that people who seem to support the president don't mask. I don't understand what that is about. Is it just an expression of personal freedom and I don't care if I kill other people? Or, or what is going on? Is there any rationale to that? First of all, I don't think it's everybody. I mean, I, for example, wear a mask when I go out, not in the car, but when I get out of the car to go to store A, B, or C, I always wear a mask. And to the best of my observant knowledge, so is everybody else in the store. In fact, most of these stores, or all of them, I think, at least around here, have signs up in the front that say you can't come in if you don't have one on. You know, I think this is probably going to depend from state to state and all that kind of thing. But I will point this out. There's a good piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal this morning that says that the per capita COVID fatalities were 75% lower in those states that did not lock down, which I find intriguing. I haven't seen that. I would love to see those figures because what I was really happy about is that in Pennsylvania, because we did lock down, we seem to not be rising in our in the number of deaths and the number of continued infections with the virus. That seems to be clear. So I'd like to get that before I spread that information because everybody is telling us, I mean, from what I can see from every doctor that I that, that is reputable, The way to contain the virus is social distancing, it is masking, it is staying out of public places where there are other people that might spread the virus. Because again, what we all know, this virus spreads by asymptomatic ways. Someone could look perfectly healthy and still be spreading the virus. And that's what I get when I see people without masks. But go ahead. I don't know if the two of you got to watch any of the Senate hearings with the CDC director and Dr. Falsi. And they both stress that the next two weeks especially are uh, worrisome and they keep stressing social distancing, wear your mask, don't, you know, take your foot off that brake. It seems like people are on one side or the other. You have people who might go too extreme, meaning we are able to go out and do more things socially as long as we protect ourselves and others. And then you have people who don't wear their masks and don't want to do social distancing at all. And again, it's striking that balance. So we continue the trend of going down instead of what's happening now is the trend is going up in certain states. 
I have no doubt that most people, most people are being careful like Jeffrey. I mean, I have no doubt Jeffrey goes out and he wears his mask, even though he's a very strong Republican. And what we did see, Jeffrey, I have to say, is that the people turned out, at least for that rally, that it wasn't as many people as they expected. And don't you think that's partially because it's not necessarily a sign of, of weakening support for the president, but the fact that people are cautious about going into public places and cautious about being exposed to the coronavirus. Is that sure. I mean, I, all of the publicity about this in general, I think that that absolutely had an effect on people. I mean, there's another issue with that rally altogether that has nothing to do with the virus. People on the other side trying to deliberately sabotage the thing by, you know, getting gathering up tickets and all that sort of thing. But that's that's a different issue. And I think we'll be coming back to that as the campaign goes on to see if that kind of thing goes on. I mean, I have ultimate confidence in Americans. They're not stupid, and they will decide for themselves what's in their best interest, whether it's going into a store or going to a political rally or whatever. I mean, they're going to look out, number one, for their own self-interest, and thank God for that. Well, yeah, Right, which is why I think we didn't see the attendance at that rally. I mean, we have that on both sides. Of course, you always have those groups, uh, the extreme groups who purchase tickets to keep people from going. But that stadium held over 19,000 people and only 6,000 went. I don't think extreme left groups reserve that many No, tickets. I think the virus had something to do with it. I mean, I think oh, okay. some people just yeah. decided not to go. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and But I'm going to tell you, the, the point in this all is, I think you both agree, one stupid person can kill a lot of folks. So, yeah, most people are smart, but there are some people who aren't so smart. And those aren't so smart But the people smart people will know if they're going to be in a crowd that somebody like that could be there. No, and they're going to calculate accordingly whether they want to go or not. No, but the smart people still have to pop into the giant to pick up a can of milk or a bottle of milk. And the person right. who just left the rally is there without a mask and touching that bottle of milk. It's not as simple as, yeah, smart people will do what they can to protect themselves. But you increase your protection for the community when people mask, when they don't go and do crazy things that's going to spread it. So anyway, it's just that in this case, you can protect yourself only so much if you've got a lot of people who don't care running around. And it seems we got thousands of those that attended the rally because they were without masks. And then they went back out into their communities and back out into parts of the world to reinfect other people. And some people don't believe the virus is as serious as it is. And we also saw, I don't know if one of you already brought it up, but what, about six to eight people of the president's own advance team got contracted the virus. And two of them actually had masks on during the rally. So I think, if I'm correct, I think that they contracted it when they were in Dallas for something. Then they went on to the other, but they had contracted it in Dallas with, with whatever they were doing in Dallas. But I guess, Jeffrey, did they know they had it when they were at the rally? Did they know they yeah, had it? Yeah, I honestly don't. I, I don't know, to be perfectly oh. candid. But OK, well, let's move on. We've, we've kind of talked about this, but it's it's really worrisome that the president does not seem to take seriously this issue of not spreading it, not holding these rallies, not spreading it. And frankly, Jeffrey, I think that's going to hurt him. I think it's going to hurt him with rational, independent people, perhaps not with 
those people who he could shoot a, a gun down, you know, a street in New York. But with normal, uh, rational, independent Americans, he's got that's going to hurt because people are thinking through these issues. But let's move on to this issue of what's happening with the protests and where things stand there. It's looking like this. People are taking it that this these protests seriously are moving to at least make some changes in policing. I don't know how this is playing out in each one of the parties, but I'd like you maybe update me on where things stand with the Republicans. Are they coming on board with with the necessary changes or are they kind of going slow, Jeffrey? Well, there does appear to be, and I, I don't know all the technicals here, but there does appear to be a move by Senator Scott from South Carolina on this. The Democrats are not going along with, and I'd be very curious to know what that is. If there's an effort on the Democratic side to have an alternative to Senator Scott's proposal, I'm sure that he is all ears. But the fact that he has taken the lead and that Republicans are out there on this issue, there is no question. We have to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to turn it over to Rajet, who's going to tell me just why the Democrats seem to not be cooperating, perhaps, with Senator Scott on this issue. So stay tuned and we will be right back. Okay, we are back and we are resuming our conversation with Democrat Rajet Harris and Republican Jeffrey Lord. And we're now moving in to talk about what's going on legislatively in Congress with responding to the protests and taking actions for police reform. And uh, Rajet, it was going to be your turn. Listen, guys, if you want to join us, you can do so at Battleground PA on Twitter and Facebook and send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. So, Rajet, what is going on? Why aren't they cooperating with Senator Scott? Well, the biggest problem, again, is going to be Mitch McConnell. Some of the differences between the two proposals, for instance, the Democrats' bill bans chokeholds. The Republican bill just discourages it. The Republican bill bans no-knock warrants, which is what happened with Breonna Taylor, how she was murdered by police when they, they barged into the wrong apartment whereas the Republicans does not ban the no-knock warrants. So those are just two examples. The Democrats' bill is trying to address some of the issues and the recent killings that occurred. The Republican bill is just a little bit more symbolic, meaning we can say we passed something, we're doing something, but it doesn't really do anything. Do I think the two sides can you know, come to a compromise? I really hope so, because it is a very important issue. But those two issues that I just mentioned are two issues that Democrats are not going to compromise on. Well, one of the things that that, uh, I find, frankly, kind of cynical on the Democrats' part is I I think they think that they're going to win the Senate in November. And so correspondingly, what they're doing with, with Senator Scott's bill is as I now understand it, they're signaling they're just going to block the bill even from getting to the floor for debate, much less voting on amendments. Well, that's not you know a good thing. I mean, let's get it out there. Get it on the floor of the Senate. Have your amendments one way or another. Vote them up or down. But do something for heaven's sakes. I mean, this is June. Don't wait until November. Get yeah. something done. Yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah, right. why, on the other side, then, though, then why won't the Republicans sit down? and look at the Democrat bill. And again, you know, I well, really you can't think a lot of I this mean, is, I really think a lot of this is in the Republican leadership more so than the rank and file members. I do think the rank and file members 
would be more likely to get together and try to come together with a compromise. People are wanting action. So this is the problem. I think both parties are going to suffer if your guys are seem to be stalling once again when people are out in the streets and demanding that something be done. I think it's pretty universal that people want something done. So do it. I mean, and there's a parliamentary, I mean, this being a parliamentary body, there's a parliamentary way to do it, which is you allow the bill to come to the floor and you put forward your amendments that says, you know, I, I don't like this. I like that. Or I don't want this passed. I, I, I mean, whatever. You guys but, you can't. but the legislation has to be meaningful, Val. It can't be well, like but that's a subjective resolutions uh, that are passed. But I gave, I'm not just talking about the bills. I gave two distinct examples of differences in the bill. And, you know, well, no but fine, but the place that, are important. Yeah, but the point, the, my point is debate it. Put it on the floor of the United States Senate and debate it and vote on it. Well, then let's bring up the Democrats' bill on the floor and let's debate it and vote it up and down. Fine. I'm all for that. Put put them all on there. I mean, it's going to have to be one way or the other because let me tell you, Rajette is right in one one fashion from what I see. Protesters are not going to be happy, and these young people are not going to settle for a watered-down, pretend-to-do-something kind of legislation. They're going to want something meaningful and something that really pushes the envelope and really, really yeah. makes clear that the country is not founded on race. It, well, it is. It's not going to continue with the racist systems and policing in other places. That seems to be the message that they're sending. And I mean, the other question I wanted to raise with you guys is, you know, we're seeing a general, I think, response in society that they want to stop. They want these, even these symbols of uh, racist past to, to be brought down. I mean, I don't know. I know you probably have different views on this with regard to the Confederate symbols and all of that, but you know, people are looking at these things, questioning and wondering if they still want this as part of American society. Well, I just don't think, just as a general rule, that you go about erasing history. I think that's very Stalin-esque. American history is what it is. And any history, frankly, should be left alone because you learn from it. You need to be reminded of it. You can't let it go. I mean, we can't have people growing up saying, what was the Confederate States of America? What with slavery? I mean, they have to know. They have to have all these symbols around so that they know. But as I as I was saying to Joyce before we went on, if we're going to go down this road, you know, be careful what you wish for. Let's start with the state of New York and the city of New York, which is named after the Duke of York, who was infamous for his slave trading. His uh, best pal in life, or one of them, was somebody named William Penn. <laughs> and they were very tight, and William Penn raised no objection at his friend's activities. And as a matter of fact, the ninety to 100,000 people that uh, Duke's slave company put on boats from Africa were brought to the middle colonies, including up Pennsylvania. So do we now strip Pennsylvania of William Penn's name? I mean, is Penn Live now going to become Harrisburg Live? <laughs> um, Mar- Maryland, Queen Mary the first. I mean, the same kind of situation. Virginia, named after the Virgin Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth I, same situation. Are we going to rename all these states? I don't think so. I think that's a huge mistake. Well, Jeffrey, but symbolism matters, Sal. You don't count. erase uh, history. isn't a statue. History is in the book. We just celebrated. Yeah, but uh, then they'll start burning books. But we, just, <laughs> but we just celebrated Juneteenth and the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. We didn't celebrate it, but that is also part of history. When I was in high school, I spent a whole semester on British studies. 
Do you know how many times I heard Juneteenth or the Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, massacre? Zero. I had to learn that from my family. So, you know, black history is American history. And it's not. Yes, history absolutely. Us, I, I'm, not I personally. I personally am for making Juneteenth the national holiday so that people will have a better understanding that Abraham Lincoln and the Republican Party emancipated the slaves and abolished slavery. I'm all but for we it. Need to, but we need to put this history in the books and teach in the schools. It's not in a statue that is, uh, symbolizes hatred towards a large group of people that but should not have to walk by that every day. One of the things I think we have to differentiate is what is history and what is tribute, glorifying. When you see a statue, you're basically telling here's, here's an ideal, here's something we want to highlight, here's something we want to pay tribute to. And I think that's the issue here. Many of these statues, it is truly glorifying something that we really don't want to glorify. Don't you see I, I, a difference in, in having history in a book and in a museum than in having a big monument in the center of the, the town square? There is no statue anywhere for anything that is not put up by people who at the time thought so-and-so needed a statue. It doesn't mean that 60 years later or 200 years later, Everybody has to agree with it. It's a reflection of its time. And when you go about the process of destroying history, then you are, in fact, going to be condemned to repeat it. And that is is a seriously bad thing. There is a reason to have statues long past their usefulness when the generation that put them up has long since died out. And that is to teach people and remind people of exactly what happened and what was done. And, yeah, and to yeah, erase I, it, and, and not to mention, in my, in my case, I think that these Confederate, I mean, these statues, most of them are Democrats. So in other words, they're trying to erase the history of the Democratic Party, which was strong on support for slavery, segregation, lynching, the Ku Klux Klan, and now, as I say, identity politics. No, yeah. I don't want that erased. I want those statues up so people can working, learn from them. Jeffrey, wait a minute. We have, to, we have to clarify here. We really do have to clarify here. That it isn't one party. I, I, I mean, honestly, we want. But to it was Joyce. It, it, no, I mean, I've read their platform. It has been American society of all parties that have participated. No, no. Jo oh my, yes, Joyce, wait, has, we just disagree. Yes, well, has, please yes, show me the. Please show me the Republican platform that supported slavery. Well, it was. You can't. It was a country that supported slavery, the whole country, including laws passed. I'm from the South. I happen to know the laws that were passed by both Republicans yeah. and Democrats. That but, but Republicans did not support slavery, period. But let's, bring this, but let's bring this back into the 21st century. African-Americans, Blacks are not physically enslaved. But in a lot of ways, we are still on a plantation. There are still a lot of institutionalized racism that we deal with every day. I call I it the liberal you plantation. You'll be happy to know. <laughs> the, uh, like the report I told you earlier, that was George Floyd's killer, the, the officer that put his knee on his neck. Where he is in jail, non-white jail officers are not allowed to guard him. So basically, what they're saying is because they're of color, they can't do their job. They're already Who's running Minneapolis? Judged. They're being judged by the by the color of their skin. And we see this every day on a daily basis in housing and education and jobs, employment but, opportunities and wage disparities. So in a lot of ways, we're still living with the same problems. They've just changed. But who, I mean, I just have to keep asking this question. 
Who has been running these American cities for decades? Democrats. The situation you just described in Minneapolis. Who's in charge of Minneapolis? It's the Democratic mayor of Minneapolis. The whole city is run by Democrats. Can't they stop it? Did they put this rule in? I mean, why are they just sitting there on the sidelines? Who makes the rules? They do. But the way that you're talking is that Republicans don't discriminate against African Americans. As a black woman, I've been discriminated by both. So (laughs) this is not. Well, I'm just just saying to you the historical record. The historical record is that one party is the party of race. They needed race to win elections. They used slavery first, then they moved to segregation. And now, as I say, they use identity politics. It's all part and parcel of the same thing, and I think it's wrong. So The Democrats lost the South because they supported the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act in the 60s. No. no. By the way, the South voted for Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. Virginia voted for Barack Obama. I believe Florida voted for Barack Obama as well. I mean, the notion that it's all about race when some Republican wins, but race doesn't matter if the Democrat wins, is just bogus. Well, this has race been a great matter. I will never say race never guys. matters. This, this has been a great discussion, and I think it's it's worthy of us putting a marker here to uh, to basically agree that I think we have a national issue here, and that on yes. both on all sides, including all parties, Jeffrey and and Rajat, Democrats as well as Republicans, have to address the issues that that have been created in this country by everybody, honestly, by the system. So where we are now is really trying to figure out how we're going to come together as a nation to address the issues that we're facing. But I will tell you, Jeffrey has brought up a very good point. And and that is, this issue is so intrinsic to uh, American society and even American government that it's going to be hard to extricate ourselves from these vestiges of, of, of slavery and racism. It is, it's at the core of the nation. I mean, everything needs to stop. Is absolutely true, you know? I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, put race aside for a moment. There are other things out there that, that don't. No, no, no. I mean, don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. I'm just saying move race aside for a moment. There are other issues. There always will be other issues that have nothing to do with race where something is judged not to be good. So what happens is in a free society, you change the thing that's not good. This is a perpetual in American society. It could be. Let me give you let me give you an innocuous example that has nothing to do with race. And it's right here in Pennsylvania. During the energy crisis a few decades ago, in the I don't know, the Nixon era or whatever, it became all the rage for state governments and governors to change the speed limit on interstate highways and drop it from 65 to 55 to save energy. Well, so that went on for X number of years. And finally, governors and all that said, you know, this isn't working. So they changed it back. And so now you can go 65 miles an hour on interstate highways. I'm just saying that's the way these problems should and will always be dealt with in a free society. Somebody says we need to change A to Z or M or whatever. You make the change and then the change works or it doesn't work. Or you say we need more change. You can also argue with that, Jeffrey, honestly, that you suddenly become enlightened. You realize that something that you thought was wonderful is is really not that way. And and you may become more sensitive to those people around you who are hurt by it. Correct. And that's that's the value of a free society. 
Right. And if I, as a good neighbor, realize that something I'm doing over here, for example, just with my neighbor, I had a spotlight. And then I didn't realize as I'm shining that spotlight in my yard at night, it's going into their bedroom window. Once they made me Holy aware, cow. I know. Keeping Tomette. But once they made me aware of that, <laughs> I turned that light or I moved it another way. I responded. I didn't just say, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care if it offends you. I want to live as a good neighbor. We want to live as a sure. multi-ethnic society. We need to be sensitive to the people around us and what hurts other people, whether we understand it or not. We need, and we to, need to do self-reflection. And, and, and self-reflection. Let's go on to another issue before our, our time is up. And I want to talk about, because we still don't know who's going to be vice president for the, for the Democrats. And it does look like I'm hearing a whole lot more about Kamala Harris. What, what, what's going on there? Uh, and what are your thoughts about who's rising to the top? I think it's like in football season when you have uh, you 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 play the game where you you try to guess who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. I think that's where we are right now with vice presidential uh, candidates. You know, each day it it seems to be someone someone else. Um, I personally am not going to you know say who it is. It could be someone that the media is even speaking of. To be honest, I do think that with everything going on, there might be a better shot of Joe Biden choosing a black woman to be his running mate to because of all the racial tension going on right now. But I'm also of the point that that's not necessarily so, because I think his main point obviously is to win. And he's going to choose the woman that he thinks is best able to help him do that. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting in the case of Kamala Harris, because on the one hand, if if the issue is should a woman of color be picked? She has an advantage. On the other hand, if you look at this through the lens of which has happened at a lot of times in these kind of selections, can she bring her home state? Well, she's basically valueless there because Joe Biden is going to carry California no matter who's on the ticket. So I will say this. I haven't seen to some degree close up how the system used to work, which was terrible, where, you know, in the heat of a convention, you know, somebody gets summoned to a smoke filled room and I mean, it just was terrible. And nowadays, whomever, I mean, all of these people mentioned for Joe Biden's ticket are being vetted, seriously vetted. I mean, I'm sure they're filling out all kinds of things about every financial tra- transaction they've ever had, you know, every political controversy, you know, are they happily married? Uh, I mean, you know, all this sort of stuff. But that's a, that's a good thing so that the nominee doesn't wind up with somebody who implodes because, you know, the moment they're selected, people discover that, you know, they were an axe murderer when they were a child or some such thing. I, you know, it's it's a much better system. So whomever he picks, I think, is going to be seriously vetted. Yeah. Yeah. Is there and that's why Amy Klobuchar took herself out. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I mean, this whole, by the sheerest of accident, all of this George Floyd business took place in her hometown where she was a local official. And I, I, you know, in law enforcement, and I think that, she, you know, she would have been immediately caught up in that in a, in a not good way. And I think she realized it. Yes. Well, my question to you was, is there anyone that Republicans are rooting for for this that you think would make it easier for, for President Trump? Well, you know, I'm not so sure Kamala Harris isn't that. Uh, I mean, I, I, if she is picked, I can see immediately that there will start to be Republican commercials of her taking Joe Biden a task in the presidential debate about uh, segregation and all of this kind of thing. 
I mean, that's sort of easy pickings out there. There will doubtless be other things, but but that's one because she was on the stage chastising him. Mm, very, very interesting. Well, good. Guys, we've had a wonderful conversation. I really thank you so much. And uh, look, we have to keep following not only the coronavirus, but we've got to keep following the politics and how all this is playing out. So once again, I thank you for joining us. I look forward to having you guys with us next week. And thank you to our listeners. I look forward to having you guys argue with us next week. See you then. Bye-bye. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.